0: to wait. Anybody out there feel the same? I mean, we all do it. We have waiting lines, we have waiting rooms. It seems like everywhere we go, it's waiting, but I'm the kind of guy that like looks at the grocery store lines, like I'm in this line, I keep looking to my left and right, and I'm the guy that gets out of line to go get in the other one. And which line goes faster? The one I was just in, you got it, right? If you ever see me on the Lloyd Expressway, if I'm passing you, please forgive me, or if you pass me, we'll be probably doing the same thing, looking at all the lanes, trying to figure out which one to get in to go faster, right? It seems like we hurry up to get to another line, another lane, or another place, only to find ourselves waiting more, right? Some have estimated that we might spend up to six months of our life sitting at a stoplight. That's just depressing to me, all right? Also, is that we've probably, if all of our waiting was put together, we might spend five years of our life waiting some of you have less waiting than others but the christmas season can prolong our waiting right i mean we're waiting for that package to arrive we're waiting for family to show up we're waiting for school to end we're waiting for vacation to start and of course we're all waiting for that jolly old elf saint nick to arrive right i love uh, something about christmas it has to do with the nativity. Uh, as a kid I was had the self-appointed responsibility to put out our family nativity in the front yard I worked so hard to get the spotlight right on the baby of Jesus because that's what all of it's about right and uh, then the wind would knock it over i set it up over and over it seemed like uh, that translated into something we do as a family even today we love to travel and places that we travel especially outside of this country we love to try to find a nativity that represents that country or that's made in that country and we have all those decorated our house with it's a a special part i remember this creche that our creche i think that's how you say it that my grandparents gave me as a kid that had all of these figurines you know a part of the nativity set of course they had the typical ones mary joseph the baby some animals uh, shepherds they actually included the wise men and then there were some extra parts like i can remember asking my dad who's this guy like never seen him in the christmas story Today, the good news that we're looking at from the birth narrative of Jesus recorded by Luke, his gospel, has some people that you're not gonna find in any nativity sit near you, okay? But we believe that they have some good news that they received that will give us some hope today. We've been working through this record of Jesus' life from the gospel of Luke. If you have a copy of the Bible, I'd encourage you to open that. We're gonna read through uh, another portion of this birth narrative. Luke says that he wrote this record of Jesus' birth and his life so that we would know the certainty of what took place, but also so we would know the significance. We've learned how the good news came to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who waited all of their life to have a baby. And when they were well along in years, as Luke puts it, finally they We're going to have a baby, and that baby was born. It was a son. They named him John. He was the forerunner to the Messiah. We also have watched as Mary waited those long nine months for what God promised her to come true, that she was going to have a baby, even though she was a virgin. And that baby was born. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus. He is the Messiah. He's Savior, Christ the Lord. We've also watched as some stinky, sinful, socially unacceptable shepherds kind of made their way to the town of Bethlehem to find what had been promised to them by the angel. And that was that they would find a baby laying in a manger who would be wrapped in strips of cloth. And they found everything just like the angel said it would be. Luke continues the birth narrative of Jesus into the days after Jesus' birth and a few weeks for that matter. And they speak to the historical reality of Jesus' birth, but also they declare the spiritual significance. Let's pick up in Luke's account in Luke chapter 2, now verse 21. This is what Luke says. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, his name he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was even conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. It was really important to Mary and Joseph to follow all of the Old Testament laws and Jewish customs that were commanded circumcision was commanded of every Jewish boy on the eighth day of their life. And I'm sure, as, I'm sure that they were so relieved that circumcision didn't come at the eighth year. Circumcision was a symbolic and ceremonial dedication of one's life to the promises of God. It was signifying the covenant relationship between God and his people, the one he had established with the people of Israel. And all this got going all the way back with Abraham recorded in Genesis 17. Circumcision continues even to this day, even though it's lost its spiritual significance. Now it's much more medical or even physically important. Most Jer- Mary and Joseph followed all of the dedication rituals and rites commanded in the law for the firstborn males. All firstborn males were to be dedicated to the Lord. And it was because the Lord had spared all the firstborn sons when the people of Israel were living in the land of Egypt. You probably remember from the the account of the Old Testament where the death angel came through Egypt and it passed over any of the Israelite homes that had the Passover lamb's blood around the doorframe. Their animals were spared as well as the firstborn child. And so from that point forward, every firstborn male was to be dedicated back to the Lord. Now, what happened is became a practice that the Levite tribe would actually take the place of all the firstborn males that were born to Israelite families. They were kind of a replacement for this firstborn of sons in Israel. So now parents would pay five shekels at the time of consecration, around about 30 days after the child's birth. And then the child could return back home with his parents. The dedication and ritual also included the sacrifice of one lamb. The Old Testament law made a provision for poorer families that would not be able to afford a lamb. They could sacrifice a couple of birds. And so we see that Jesus was born into some very humble circumstances because Luke records that his parents offered a sacrifice of birds. I think in this moment, we see an intense commitment from Mary and Joseph to fulfill all the requirements of the law. And I think it's important to note that this is a parallel that we see even when Jesus is baptized about 30 years later. When he came to John the Baptist, his relative, to be baptized, John kind of objected. He's like, oh, oh wait a minute. I should actually be being baptized by you, Jesus. But Jesus responded by saying, it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. We see that getting a great start for Mary and Joseph and Jesus following that throughout his entire life. In fact, in his ministry, he often said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. I think it's really important that following Jesus' example of obedience, that's one to emulate. When we talk about living and loving like Jesus, it's, it's following his perfection, his sinlessness. And while we recognize that none of us are humanly possible be, to be perfect, we recognize that it's not our perfection of the law that saves us, it's Jesus's perfection in obedience to the law, that he fulfilled all the law and every prophecy about him. We are not saved by law, we are saved because of grace. I think it's in this moment that we see just how important it was to Mary and Joseph that, that everything was accomplished just as God wanted to, to be. It's also in this moment that we meet these two people again, that aren't very familiar to us in this birth narrative. But the first one's name is Simeon. Look what Luke says about him in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what is the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for of all the nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Luke gives a lot of descriptors about Simeon. He's from Jerusalem, that's where he most likely lived. His name is Simeon, means God has heard. Luke describes Simeon as righteous and devout. Well, what do those two words mean? Well, righteous is a description of an obedience toward the word of the Lord that directs itself toward people. It's doing right to others. This word devout speaks to this obedience to God and his word that manifests itself toward God. It's a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. Here at Crossroads, we talk about living and loving like Jesus. And to live and love like Jesus, we are being with God and being with others. If that's new information to you or you'd like to know or explore more how you can be both righteous and devout, I'd encourage you to check out the roadmap. It's a resource we have that helps all of us live and love like Jesus. cccgo.com forward slash roadmap is where you can find that. Luke also says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, he was waiting and longing for Messiah to come. It was the hope and prayer of every Israelite that Messiah would come, bring peace and comfort the people of Israel. The Old Testament prophecies all pointed to who the Messiah would be and what his purpose would be accomplished in coming. Isaiah was one of those prophets who spoke a lot about the coming Messiah. Look what he says in Isaiah 40. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Isaiah is proclaiming The coming of Messiah was promised good news. And now we have seen that it has arrived or he has arrived after a long wait. One last thing that Luke says about Simeon is that the Holy Spirit was on him. Now we've discussed this before, but it's good to point out that prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit would come on a person to accomplish God's purposes through that person. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, now the Holy Spirit comes in a person. The Holy Spirit dwells within us to really accomplish the exact same thing. Verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. And some take this statement to mean that Simeon by this point is a really old man. We don't see anything in the text that indicates his age, but it does speak of his spiritual awareness and his responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. In this moment, the Holy Spirit had had prompted Simeon to go to the temple that very specific day, that very specific moment. And when he did, he met Mary and Joseph and their brand new little baby named Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he took him in his arms. Now, if you are a new parent, especially a first time parent, it can be a little unsettling when you Bring your infant to a public setting and somebody wants to hold it. They all wanna be touching his or her head, kind of getting it all up in your space. That can make you a little bit um, fearful. You know, germaphobe or even like stranger danger alert. You know, all those things kind of are, those alarms going off in our mind. But in this moment, Simeon picks up Jesus and he bursts out into song. He sings a song of praise to God. He declares the identity and the purpose of Jesus being Messiah. This truth was given to him by the Holy Spirit and he worshiped God for being faithful to his promises and to his character. He also praised God for being faithful to the promise he had made to Simeon that he would see the Messiah with his own eyes. I wonder if you've ever felt a prompting, something you might say was more than just a gut instinct. It it really felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting you toward something or to do something. And maybe you chose not to respond. I think only God knows how many opportunities that you and I might have missed because we were too distracted or just plain disobedient. I also think only God knows those moments that you and I thought were just coincidences, those moments where we thought maybe even by our own choosing or our own wisdom, we found ourselves in a situation and little did we know that eternity hung in the balance. In this moment, we see Simeon, obedient to the Holy Spirit, being able to experience for himself the coming of Messiah, seeing Jesus with his very own eyes. And when he did, he's like, I'm good to go now. I have seen what was promised to me, the promised Messiah. After all the waiting, all the longing, whether for years or for decades, Simeon says it's worth it. Simeon declares the good news of Jesus, that he's savior, he's Messiah, he's Lord, that he will bring salvation for all people. That's exactly what the angel said about Jesus too. This good news is a a revelation. It's a light to those who found themselves in darkness. Pretty much described the Gentiles in that way. Simeon said that this good news would be the glory of Israel, which just basically meant that God was faithful to what he said he was going to do. And It would also be a revelation to the Gentiles, meaning for the rest of us, this good news is for us too. While there were many erroneous views of, of what the Messiah's purpose would be, many thought it would be political or even economical, it's clear from all the songs that Luke records in the birth narrative of Jesus that Mary sang, that Zachariah sang, now that Simeon sings, that the purpose of Messiah coming was all about spiritual. Simeon was certain that the birth of Jesus was good news for all people. He understood that Jesus came to bring salvation as a suffering servant, that he would die on a cross, that he'd be raised from the dead. He speaks these truths to Mary, the mother of Jesus, as a blessing. Luke records that in verse 33. Luke says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. (laughs) That's good news for you, Mary. Like hope that cheers you up here at Christmas time, right? I mean, I don't see that passage quoted in many Christmas cards that we pass around to friends and family, right? Well, Simeon in this moment is making sure that that the age-old question that we might have all been asking is answered. I say age-old, but it's probably really only been around since 1984, when a guy named Mark Lowry wrote a famous Christmas song to all of us now, Mary, did you know? Yep, she knew. The angel told her, now Simeon told her. She knew that the purpose for what the Messiah was coming to do. And despite the harshness and all the suffering tones to us, It's still good news. There's another prophecy from Isaiah that confirms all this suffering theme is really what the good news is all about. In speaking about Jesus, this is what Isaiah says. He, meaning Jesus, grew up before him, meaning God, like a tender shoot, like a root out of a dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind It was the Lord's good will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now I wonder today, whatever you might be going through in this season of joy and holiday blessing, you might just feel suffering, hardship, difficulty, I want you to know that there's good news. And the first is that Jesus is familiar with pain. Jesus knows what it feels like to suffer. He was rejected, he was despised. He knows what it's like to deal with family conflict or disappointment or being betrayed by others. All of that was the Lord's good will so that he could bring us the best news. And that best news is we're not alone, we are saved. We have hope and peace through him being Messiah. Him being Savior, Him being Lord. Simeon knew why Jesus came, and he says, it's worth the wait. Many people wanted a Messiah for their own selfish reasons, but missed their real need. And I wonder about us. You know, what are we waiting for? What are we longing for? Where have we placed our hope? Is it in the next vacation or some new experience? Is it about getting engaged or maybe married, having a child of our own? Getting accepted into a specific college or getting a job or or next promotion? Is it earning your first dollar or making your first million? Is it retirement? None of those things in themselves are bad, but they don't offer lasting hope and peace and joy. That's only found in one thing. It's a person. And that's who Simeon got to hold that day. Simeon knew what to look for and what to wait for. He waited and looked for Jesus. And when he saw him, he received him and he worshiped him. Simeon knew that there was something very special about that little baby. One of another Christmas memory that I have actually came when I was in college. I was in concert choir in college, and we got to uh, perform at Carnegie Hall in New York City. And the timing of that concert was right after Thanksgiving, which meant when we arrived in New York City, we got to do some sightseeing, and it was all a buzz in Christmas celebration. One of the experiences we enjoyed while being in New York City was to go to the Christmas Spectacular at Radio City Music Hall, which features the uh, Rockettes. Now, for a bunch of college students, we probably weren't real wrapped up into the Rockettes, but it was an incredible show. There's all kinds of things I would love to share with you about that. But my favorite thing about that whole presentation was the ending. The ending involved actually a display of the nativity. It wasn't politically correct then. It probably isn't now, but it was a very moving experience. It started by the stage being empty and dark, And then Mary, Joseph, and an animal began walking across the stage. It was obvious that Mary was great with child. And then moment after moment, the scene just built on that large stage with lots of pomp and circumstance as the Magi made their way to worship this baby that was born with all the shepherds and live animals. And the very end of the scene ended with a scrim that came up in front of the stage and the words to a poem called One Solitary Life were projected on that screen. It wasn't legal for me to show you today the very actual scene of the Christmas Spectacular from Radio City Music Hall, but I did find the same poem put to some other scenery. I'd like to share that with you now, so check out this one solitary life.
1: He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another small village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held political office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city or traveled except in his infancy more than 200 miles from his birthplace. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness and he had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, The tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him, another betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies to endure the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he owned on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure in the history of the human race. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the lives of men and women upon the earth as much as this one solitary life
0: records that there was a second person present at the temple there that day who also knew that this baby was something really special. Look what he says, Luke chapter 2, now verse 36. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night there, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Luke says that Anna was a prophetess, someone who received messages from God and then shared those messages with others. She's not the only prophetess we see in Scripture. There was Miriam and Deborah, Huldah in the Old Testament, and then Philip's daughters in the book of Acts we see were also prophetesses. This good news is received by both men and women and people of all ages. Luke says she was from the tribe of Asher. Asher was one of the 10 tribes up in the northern part of the kingdom of Israel who disobeyed and rebelled against God and they were taken into captivity. Some have described these 10 tribes of Israel as the lost tribes of Israel, but I don't think they were ever completely lost. Anna is a great example of the redemption and the restoration that God can bring. Though her ancestors had turned their backs on God, she was obviously devout and steadfast. She had suffered loss in her life. Luke says that her husband had died after they'd just been married seven years, and she had been a wed- widow till she was 84. Some commentators say that she was a widow for 84 years which means she could be 84 or even 104. Luke just calls her very old. But that's not what's most important. God was not done with her yet. Verse 37 says, she never left the temple. It doesn't mean that she lived there. It just meant that she was devout and faithful. She worshiped God, served him day and night. She fasted and she prayed. Raise your hand if maybe that reminds you of somebody in your family, maybe like your grandma. It's like somebody who's been faithful for all these years. Well, Anna is an example, like Simeon, of faithfulness. She was aware and and was holding out hope for the promised good news of Messiah. And when she heard Simeon singing his song that day about Jesus, she echoed the same sentiments. They were more than sentiments. They were eternal truths that Jesus is the Messiah, our Savior, and their good news. She proclaimed the good news to everyone, especially those who were waiting or longing for Messiah to come. As I've kind of walked through this portion of Jesus' birth narrative, there's a lot of lessons I could point out, but I thought about just closing with two, and here's the first one. You are never too old to receive or share the good news. You see, the mindset of our society today puts focus that the vitality of our lives come when we're young. That's where strength is. And and the way that we glorify retirement in our society has left the church emaciated. Most people over 50 in any local church have begun to believe lies from the pit of hell that say like, I'm not important anymore. I have served my time. I have nothing to offer the church today. I'm not valued by the church today. The Bible is very clear. That faithfulness to God all throughout our lives is very important. And as we age, we're blessed with maturity and wisdom and we're instructed to pass that wisdom on to those who are younger. Paul points out to Titus, he says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderous, or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what's good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. As your pastor, I want to be clear, I want Crossroads to be a place where every person feels loved and valued by God regardless of their age or their gender, where every person of any age feels connected and has contribution both young and old. When I read the Bible, I don't see that in the kingdom of God there's anything called retirement. And Simeon and Anna are fully engaged in worship and service well advanced in years and so I want to say let's just say if you're 50 or older the generation right now needs your wisdom and your example so stay faithful stay engaged or even get engaged I'm so proud to be part of a church where I see people who have maturity and wisdom who are still engaged in our serving. There's Sherry, who teaches every week back in the kids' ministry and has for over 30 years. There's Tom and Brenda, who are serving at Potter's Wheel. There's Steve, who leads in our connections ministry, and many more. And there's still room for more. Daryl Bach says this sometimes your most productive years in the service of God come after your most productive years of earthly toil. That's good news for a certain group of people. The second good news I want to share with you today is for everyone, and that is the good news is worth waiting for. There's so many things in our world today that we long for that are hollow pursuits. We chase or wait or put our hope in so many things that are temporal. Jesus in his teachings here on earth was constantly focused on eternity with practical implications of how to live our life in the present. Take for instance, the Sermon on the Mount recorded by Matthew. Jesus challenges the the way that we worry about our life or what we will eat or what we will drink or even what we will wear. He says, don't worry about those things. Pagans run after those things. But you, Jesus says, you seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well. In another eternal perspective teaching, Jesus was confronting his disciples about how focused they were about the things of this world and their pursuit, their longing, their waiting for them. He told them, don't try to protect your life on earth as much be willing to lay down everything, any pursuit to follow him. He says, what good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? He asked another question, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He's reminding us of what's really important, what the good news is all about. And again, I'm so proud to be part of a congregation where people who are younger are making that kind of commitment and that kind of focus in their life, choosing to put their attention and give all of their hope and focus on the things that are eternal, not the things of this world. I think of Allie who helped us lead worship this morning. I think of Ben and Gabe who are investing their lives into Youth ministry, I think of Becca, who's mentoring and discipling college students, whether they're from our country or internationals. I think about Zach who graduated with a chemical engineering degree yesterday from Purdue and is focused on using that career or anywhere God leads him to serve God and to serve others, eternal thing. In a season where we're all so focused on material things like that new gadget we hope to unwrap under the tree or some new relationship that might blossom, the the trendiest fashion or even some next euphoric experience that we can capture and share on social media, Jesus reminds us what's really the good news, that God has offered us salvation and you are never too old to receive it or to share it. And it's always the right time to experience it. The good news is waiting, worth waiting for and worth pursuing. Isaiah chapter 40 ends with some good news. And you might be familiar with the verse. It begins toward the end by saying, those that wait on the Lord. Other translations say those who trust in the Lord or those who hope in the Lord. Listen how the message translation shares this good news as Isaiah wraps up another prophecy about Jesus. He says this, Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine, Israel, saying, God's lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out, young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Simply put, the good news brings joy to all people. It's worth the wait, and it's also worth the pursuit. Jesus is worth waiting for, and he is the only thing, only longing worth living for. So regardless of your age, or even regardless of what pursuits have directed your life up until now, I hope today you'll hear the good news that Jesus brings salvation. And that's the only thing worth waiting for. It's the only thing worth living for. And I pray that you'll respond to that good news today. Would you pray with me right now? God, thanks for reaching out to us. Thanks for wrapping yourself up in human flesh and coming as a baby born in a manger in humility. God, thank you for the life that that Jesus lived here on earth a one that was perfect and sinless, a great example to follow the teachings that were wise and life-changing, I thank you most of all that you offered us salvation, the best news that any of us could ever receive or respond to by giving Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and Lord. God, as we look around the world today, as we look within our own life, maybe as we look at how we've spent the last 24 hours, Lord, it can be filled with lots of pain, frustration, disappointment, A lot of that comes, God, by us hoping, waiting, longing for things that just will never satisfy. God, I pray the good news that we would all embrace today is that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is all we need. That salvation is really what makes the only difference. God, my prayer is that anybody hearing my voice today who has not yet experienced that good news, like Simeon responded to it and experienced in his own life, Anna as well, I pray that they would respond today. And I pray the rest of us who know that good news would not grow tired or apathetic. Like we would never give up, but we would renew, be renewed day by day with the strength and hope and peace you provide, not just here at Christmas, but every day, all year. I pray that we would respond in worship. We'd respond in service. God, we'd also leave a great example for those who would follow behind us. I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.